Welcome to the Global Missions Inc. podcast. Today's episode features David Luff with a message called, The Kingdom of Heaven is at Hand. One thing that I always marvel at, I guess I'm becoming less surprised as time goes on, and that is how the Lord seems to have, He doesn't seem to have, He does have a specific thing in mind that He wants to do every time we have a camp like this, whether it's here, whether it's in the Caribbean, the states, uh, in, in the, the the foreign fields, wherever it is, he seems to have something in mind for a particular hour. And I think I said a couple of years ago, maybe that it is it is like um, viewing a house plan. <laughs> you know, you have various views of the house on two dimensions. But it's still the same house. No matter whether you're looking at a side view, a top view, a plan view, a three, uh, a three-dimensional drawing type view, whatever it is, you see a different perspective of the house, but it's the same house. And I, I marveled at how from the very first meeting how the messages that we have received have dovetailed together. And we're getting a view of the same house from different perspectives. <laughs> and it's those different perspectives that, that, that complete the picture for us. And we're grateful for the way that God does this totally in a sovereign way as we yield ourselves to Him. <clears throat> I was thinking about the, the, the fact that this is the 70th anniversary of the revelation, the outpouring of the Spirit. We've had some that have already commented on that. And I was thinking about how, uh, how much excitement there must have been there when these things were unfolded. We know something about it because some of us who came in later could feel, had sensed that same excitement as if something new had been revealed. It's not that the old that, that the old was bad, but that God was adding something new. He was filling in the picture for us. And we were seeing things that we had not seen before that seemed to bring to life those things which were old that God had was was building on and I was thinking about how the people felt when John the Baptist came on the scene and Jesus shortly after that following him and from the 16th chapter of Luke and verse 16 it says the law and the prophets were until John Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached, and everyone is pressing into it. (laughs) It was not that the things that came before John were wrong, because that's what the people had up to that time. They had the law and the prophets. But since the time of John, the kingdom of God... The kingdom of heaven was being preached 
was being preached by John. It was being preached by Jesus with this simple message, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It meant the kingdom of heaven was at, at close enough to be able to reach out and take. And saints of God, the kingdom of heaven is here. It is among us. Because the kingdom of God is within you. When Jesus said it to the, to the scribes and the Pharisees, it was more from the perspective of not that it was in them, but the kingdom of God was in their midst because the king was there. But today, the kingdom is here because the kingdom is indeed within us. It, is, it, it exists in our hearts. And it is a fact. And as we go along this morning, what I would like to do for us is to get a hold of the idea that, a, that the facts that God lays out in the Scripture are facts. Whether we feel them, whether we believe them, whether we understand them or not, the facts still remain. Because God has said them and established them by His Word, and they are facts. And it is up to us to get to the place through our, through our faith and the leading of the Holy Spirit for these things, for, for faith to come to unlock these things and make them real to our hearts. <clears throat> From the fifth chapter of Matthew, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time in this Sermon on the Mount, but this is a profound teaching that Jesus gave. And it says in verse 1, it says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. And then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying... I think there is a difference between the multitudes and the disciples. There are many places where where he speaks of the multitudes, the crowds, and then he speaks of the disciples. And if you look through the scripture, you will find that whenever he speaks of the disciples, he is speaking of people who have, there is an intimacy that he has with them. It is different than he had with the crowds. For the crowds were coming with mixed uh, interests. Some were coming out of curiosity, just to, to, this was something new and different that had come. They would come to see what, what was going on. There were others that probably came with particular needs. They had heard that he was healing and making well, and so they were bringing sick. They wanted to be healed. <clears throat> there were others, though, I think, even in the crowd, whose hearts had been pricked. <laughs> And they heard, they, they knew something was different. Something in their hearts was stirred. Just as something was in our hearts were, were stirred when we heard the message of salvation and the message of the coming of the kingdom of heaven. And so, but this says, the thing that interests me about this is that although the crowds had gathered, it particularly said that Seeing the multitudes, he went up into the mountain. And he sat down, and his disciples came to him, and he taught them, saying. I think the thing that I draw from this is that this message of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus was unfolding the principles of the kingdom of heaven, 
was for those in which he had established an intimate relationship. I don't know how many of the disciples had been called at that time. According to the Gospel of Matthew, if you were to look at it chronologically, which I don't know that that is even the case, but there had only been four disciples called at that time. Probably they had, they had, that heard the message of John perhaps, and Jesus too, and so, there was an intimacy that God knew, uh, that Jesus knew had already been developed in those people. And he sat down to teach them because in all likelihood he was thinking, these are the ones that are going to carry this message after I'm gone. And he knew that they had ears to hear and hearts to understand what he was saying to them. <clears throat> Now, I want to lay a little bit of groundwork for what I want to say a little bit later. And so I want us to look together. After Jesus spoke the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount, we get to the 15th verse of chapter 5. And I'd like to walk through these next few verses one at a time and just... Get a, for us to get a feel for what Jesus was saying to us. In verse 15, or 17, excuse me, I'm starting with verse 17, not 15, 17. Jesus said, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Now, there are several things included in that in that idea of fulfillment. For one thing, he was saying, for the benefit of those pious Jews who loved the law, where the law was everything, he said, don't worry, I haven't come to annul the law, come to fulfill it. And for those Jews who felt oppressed by the law, and wanted more liberalism, he said, not so fast. <laughs> I've not come to annul the law or the prophets. <clears throat> he came to obey the commands of the law in every way, failing in absolutely no point. That was one of the things of fulfillment. The other thing he says, he, remember he says he didn't come to destroy the law or the prophets. He came to uphold all the predictions and the promises of the prophets in the Old Testament. And even John in the New Testament. And thirdly, he came to fill up what as yet had been missing from the law. Fulfill in the Greek, that word in that in that particular verse, is plerosi. It means to make full or complete. I, I like the way the Matthew Henry commentator puts it. He says, it's likened to a picture that is first rough drawn, which was the law of Moses, an outline which is later filled in with detail. Jesus came to reform the law not to repeal it. It would be as if a, 
A person who is an artist, if you see an artist work and they're they're doing a portrait or of a person, you'll see they'll just kind of rough out the head and they'll rough out. And you can tell it's a person, but you can't tell at first whether it's a man or a woman, boy or girl, whatever age or anything else. But you see that outline. You know what it is. That's the way it was with the law. When Jesus came, he came not only to fulfill it in his life, but to fill it up, to complete it, so that we could see what was actually what God had in mind in the law from the very beginning. So why would we, why would we ever get the idea that he had come to, to sort of completely set it aside? He didn't come to do that. He came to fulfill it. He came to show us what God intended for the law to do for us. And be for us. <clears throat> Hebrews 9, 9 and 10 says it was talking about the law. It said it was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience concerned only with foods and drinks and various washings and fleshly ordinance imposed until the time of Reformation. And this was the time when Jesus came. And he began to fill up the law by saying such things, and I'm paraphrasing just a few of these, but, you know, murder is not just murdering someone, the act of murdering. Intense anger is heart murder. Adultery is not just an a sexual affair outside of marriage, sexual lust is adultery of the heart. He said, don't just love your friends, but love your enemies too. This is this filling up, if you will, of the law. He also said things like take drastic action on your bodies to eliminate sinful acts. Pluck your, pluck your eye out or cut your hand off if they offend. <clears throat> and then in verse 18, he says, For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Marcus uh, taught that to us uh, the other morning as he ministered. It's interesting, though, the Greek word for fulfill here is a different word. It's genitai, which means to come into being or manifestation, implying motion or movement or growth. Have we not heard that when Brother Sunbow ministered on the fact that the sanctification This transformation in us is a process. And what Jesus was saying there is that not one, not till earth and heaven pass away. He wasn't just, I don't think he was just speaking about his part in fulfilling it in the three and a half years of his life. He says none of this other is going to pass away until these things that I am teaching have come to pass. They have come to be accomplished. They have been manifested. And then he proceeds to teach all of these things in chapter 5, 6, and 7. 
And what he is saying to us, I believe, is that he's saying these things have to become manifest or accomplished in a people. Because the interesting thing is, if you look at the the prophecies of the Old Testament regarding the kingdom of God, it is described in, in, in things like this. It's, it's an everlasting kingdom. It is a kingdom that will crush all the other kingdoms and will grow until it fills the whole earth. Uh, it, of the increase of its peace and government, there shall be no end. E- even the animal kingdom is affected by this. The wolf shall lie down with the lamb. And the, the lion will eat straw like the ox. These, these descriptions all describe the, the, uh, um, the environment, if you will, of the kingdom. As wonderful as that is, he is, he is describing that which is to come. He's showing us what it will look like and what will take place. And we rejoice in those things. But when Jesus began His teaching right at the very first, He said, "These." He begins to speak about the principles of the kingdom of heaven. And it's the same thing. It, he, Matthew uses a term that not under, none of the other synoptic gospel writers use. And he uses it 32 times. <laughs> But it, I don't want us to think that it's not the same thing as the kingdom of God. I think it is. But one thing it seems to emphasize to me is, is that he describes these things about the kingdom of heaven, or if you will, the kingdom of God. It's all about the conduct of who? Is it about the environment or who? Huh? It's about the people. He is saying, you know, this is what's coming, but the kingdom of heaven is at hand right now. And he said, and he starts describing this is the conduct of the citizens who are, who are to be candidates of the kingdom of heaven. So the thing, although it is important for us to know and have a vision for what the kingdom of God is like, I submit to you it's more important to us now to focus on the, what is required, what he is describing to us as characteristics of the kingdom of heaven because it's focusing on us. It's focusing on the people. And as Jesus was speaking to, the, to intimate, intimate disciples, he is, it's like he is speaking to Christians. And so he is speaking to us today. That message is for us. If you'll notice, there is nothing in the Sermon on the Mount. There is no salvation message in the Sermon on the Mount. He is speaking to those who have experienced salvation and now are on their way to preparing for citizenship in the kingdom of God. It is what we do in this hour right now, today, this very moment, determines what our situation will be when the kingdom of God comes. There is a gravity in these things that I don't know whether we totally grasp or not. I know, I don't think I have, have understood until the, until the recent past the seriousness of this hour. And I think God is trying to get our attention and let us know that these, this is a serious hour. 
These are things, and these things must come to pass. He says, heaven and earth will not pass away till these things come to be. They must be manifested in a people. And God is waiting and working and calling and shaping and transforming a people prepared for that which He has for us. I was thinking as Brother Robert ministered last night, and he talked about that verse in the 50th chapter of Genesis, verse 20. And that last few words, he said, all of this was done to save many lives. You know, God is not just doing these things for our enjoyment or our benefit. He has a much greater purpose involved. He is interested in in restoring everything of the creation unto Himself. Not just the people, but the animals. And the creation itself will be restored and brought back uh, under His control and under His lordship and kingship. And it's important for us to know, we don't have to know everything about the responsibility of that, but we need to know what the requirements are. You know, I like another thing that Matthew Henry says in his commentary. I'm like Brother Sumbo. I don't, I don't agree with all of it, but sometimes I see something I like. And he says, we are not under the law, but neither are we without it. You know, there has to be something up there that shows us what the requirements are. Now, how those are met, that's a totally different issue from the Old Testament. But we need to be careful that we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. <clears throat> now, now I'll get into what I really want to talk about. And that is, okay, we see, we, we see the requirements. We see something of what God wants us to do. We see something of even why He wants to do this. But now we have to get on, as Marcus was saying the other morning, we have to get on with the how-to. How do we do these things that God has called us to do? We have already had wonderful instruction at these these meetings so far regarding some of those things that will, will help us. And I'd like to just, if I could, maybe come at the same thing from a little bit different angle or perspective. One thing I, I think is true is that the, 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 scripture, the Scripture has many things in it, many ways of wording things that, that all uh, concern the same thing. But it's interesting how some, one Scripture will... You, you might read them all, but one of them just really pops to you. And you say, you know, now I see it. <laughs> that scripture is for me. I want to remember that. I want to hold on to that. Somebody else will have another scripture that speaks to the same thing, but it, but it speaks to them. <clears throat> and that's kind, of the way, that's kind of the way this is. The things that we have heard, there's different ones of us will take certain things, all pointing to the same thing, all about the same thing, but they'll be said in a way that just kind of grips your heart and you say, I I see it now. I've got it. That I can hold on to. So whether this will help you or not, I don't know. It helped me. Galatians 2 and 20. This is Paul speaking 
it had to be at a point where he, you know, he had gone, had to have gone through a, a, a process in his life where he was, where he was, uh, uh, kind of ex- going through different experiences. And this is kind of a place where he, it seems like to me, he had worked through to kind of a final point that worked for him. And he says this, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. There are five words that I would like you to remember. Robert had four words. I'll just add one more. And if you don't remember anything else that is said by me this morning, then don't forget this. And it's these five words. Yet not I but Christ. To me... What this is saying is, and it's, transformation is a good word, perhaps change is a good word, whatever, being led by the Spirit, all of these things I think are saying the same thing. But what caught me by this is Paul implying that this is not so much a changed life as it is an exchanged life. I'm trading in this old life for a totally new life. The emphasis here, the, the reason that I think it's helpful, or it's helpful to me, is it takes the emphasis off of me, and it puts it on Christ. Because when it comes back, when I'm thinking about what my responsibilities are, what my accountability is, I can get uh, totally overwhelmed. I used to say, uh, I used to say when a when a football player had trouble with fumbling the ball, you didn't want to keep reminding him all the time, "Don't fumble the ball, don't fumble the ball," because all you could think about was fumbling the ball, and the prophecy, so to speak, would come true. But in what Jesus is saying to us is, for a moment, if you will, just set yourself aside and focus on me. Exchange that which is of you, which is you, and exchange it for me. I'm going to come in, and if you'll allow me, if you'll just step aside and let me take over, let me run the house... I'll let you live here rent-free, but I'm calling the shots from this time forward. Now, if you think about that and you think about, you think about the capability of Christ versus your own capability, I don't think there's probably a soul in here that does not want to live an overcoming life. But the problem is, is we still think that... even after Jesus comes into our lives, we still have enough good in us that we can really help him out in some areas. <clears throat> and what happens is, is that 
When we try to squeeze in, he squeezes out. Because there can only be one person in charge in our lives. We, we don't really come with anything, we don't bring anything back with us that's useful to him. You don't change the bad eye to a good eye. It's our, it's about our old, corrupt, sinful, addiction prone, unforgiving, self-centered life being turned in and exchanged for a life that expresses the goodness of Christ because it is the life of Christ. You know, salvation is by grace. We, we pretty well got that down. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Saints of God's sanctification is accomplished in exactly the same way. By the grace of God. I like this. This is one of these verses that I mentioned that, that really speaks to me. And it's 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. And it says, But of Him, speaking of God, of Him, are you in Christ, who of God, or by God, is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. It is Christ, it is God, through Christ, by Christ, in us, that is becoming for us these things. If we can just believe that that is the case, then it can be ours. He has come with those things. These are facts. These things are real. Whether we... Whether we experience them or not is another thing. But the fact is not changed. We don't make it a fact or not a fact just by how we feel about it or what we believe about it. It's what God has done is a fact, and that's what He says here, that He has been made for us these things, even our sanctification. You know, if you talk about think about being under the law in its most basic terms, it means... That God demands something from us and we must do something for God to earn His approval. That's what being under law means. It's not necessarily just looking at the Mosaic law or even the fulfilled law. It is just saying we are required to do something for God. To please God, to be accepted by God. And maybe even it's where we want to be. We, we, we still want us to be doing it. <clears throat> but grace is just the opposite of that. It is God doing something for us that we do not deserve, but He does it because He loves us so much. And He knows our weaknesses. Luke four seventeen and 18 says, And there was delivered unto Him a the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found this place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. 
These are the things that Jesus brings when He comes into our lives. 1 Corinthians 15, 56, and 57. The sting of death is sin, and the strength of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then there is this this verse or this passage in the Old Testament, in which even in the Old Testament, God was giving us a preview or a prediction of how He was going to accomplish this change in our lives. And he says this, this was spoken about Jesus, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes. Beauty in exchange for your ashes. The oil of joy for mourning. You give me your mourning, I'll exchange that, you exchange that for joy. And the garment of praise exchanged for the spirit of heaviness. That they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He might be glorified. In order for that righteousness to be manifested in our lives, those re- the requirements, if you will, of righteousness, which uh, Romans... Uh, 8 and 4 says that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. I'll give you a little example, a little personal example. For a good many years now, I've had a problem with this left shoulder. I never could lift it higher than just about this. And it, it, it got to where it was hard to drive, it was hard to do whatever. So several years ago, I decided, well, I'm going to try physical therapy, you know. So I, so I went to, the doctor wrote me an order. I went to about eight weeks of physical therapy, and they got to the end. They said, it's not working on you, you know. It's not going to get it. <laughs> You're wasting your money. You might as well, you know, do something else. We can't help you. So I thought, well, you know, I'll wait a while longer. I waited a few more years. Finally, I decided, okay, I'm going to do something and see what's wrong. So I went to the orthopedic surgeon. He did an x-ray. He said, your shoulder's shot. (laughs) He said, you don't have any cartilage left. There's arthritis in there. All you're doing is rubbing bone on bone. (laughs) He said, the only fix for you is a new shoulder. (laughs) And I said, well, okay, let's do it. (laughs) So on January the 8th, I got a new shoulder. I exchanged the old shoulder for a new shoulder. They said, well, we can put the old shoulder in a Ziploc bag and you can have it to show to your grandchildren. You want it? (laughs) They didn't really say that. But (laughs) if they had, I would have said, I have no use for that shoulder. (laughs) That shoulder has... It has no value to me. It didn't work when I had it. Now I have a new shoulder that works much better. (laughs) I have no interest in the old shoulder at all. So this is is something about the exchanging of our life for the life of Christ. We want to get to the place where we don't have any use (laughs) for the old because we have the new. 
Now, what I'd like to do with the, the little bit of time remaining is just to connect these. The, the, in, in this verse, Galatians 2 and 20, there's actually three parts to it. We covered the middle part. Yet not I, but Christ. If you don't remember the rest of it, that's okay. Just remember that. Yet not I, but Christ. But we'll, we'll, we'll discuss the first and the last part of this verse. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. I think we can become so familiar with these verses that we don't stop and think, what does this really mean? In Romans 6, it says, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Therefore we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Do you ever stop to think, why did God make arrangements for us to be crucified with Christ? I read something by Watchman Nee that sort of helped me see this in a way I hadn't seen it before. But he tells a story not a true story, but just a, a parable-type story about two, two men who, who have committed basically the same crime of murder. When the judge gives the sentence for the first man, he says, you are sentenced to 15 years in prison. So it's, it, obviously he's of an age that by the, under normal circumstances... When he, will have, when he gets out of prison, he'll have some time left. To the other man, he pronounces execution. What's the difference? Well, the difference is, is that the judge in the first, first case believes that, that a time of 15 years in prison will rehabilitate this man and he can go back and function productively in society. But the second man, it's different. Because of the circumstances, his past record, his lack of, of humility uh, and, and sorrow for the crime he has committed, he said, this man is never, can never be rehabilitated. His sentence is execution. And saints of God, I don't want to insult you, but I'll just say this to you. This is the sentence that God had placed on us. God said in our state, before we came to Christ, He said, basically, you are a useless person to me. You have, there is nothing for you but to be crucified. Because you cannot be rehabilitated. Just like my shoulder could not be rehabilitated. God is not in the business of rehabbing us. He is in the business of exchanging our life for the life of His Son, Jesus Christ. (laughs) And somehow, you know, 
Don't think that this is some kind of mind over matter type thing. This is, this is miracle over matter. We may not understand exactly how it comes, but if we get to the place where suddenly the light comes on and we believe it, then God can make this, it can manifest His life in us to an ever-increasing fullness. You know, I've heard people say sometimes, you know, this person over here is un, unsaved, and he said, you know, if they could just get saved, they are so capable, you know. They are such wonderful public speakers, or they're so, uh, they're such wonderful administrators, or they would be wonderful financial advisors for our church because everything they touch is turned to go. Boy, if they could just become a Christian, man, we could really use them. You know, I've got news for you. Everything goes back to zero when we come to Christ. Everything goes zero at the foot of the cross. I'm not saying that God cannot use capabilities that He has given us, but they start from scratch. God has to build them up from a spiritual perspective. We don't carry those natural capabilities into our spiritual walk. It will not work. And I'll tell you, if you try to use those or think you've got those things that, that you can use now because you're a Christian, I'll take all of this stuff, all these wonderful capabilities and I'll just rely them to the church. God will cut you right down to the stump because we have to be built back up in the things of the Spirit. So when you feel that, you feel that sense in you that maybe, you know, I'm pretty good at this. I think I can do this. You know? Let that, let that, let this come back and say, Lord, I have exchanged my life for your life. That's not the way it operates. You come in, you start living, you live your life in me and through me. As I said before, the problem is we still think there is still some good left over in us that is useful. I have a four-year-old grandson. His name is Boone. Uh, He's quite intelligent, of course. (laughs) But he comes over to the house, and there's a tub, a plastic tub, that has some of his dad's old toys in them. He goes up, he gets the tub, brings it downstairs, and pulls everything out. And he starts, they're these kind of like these transformers, you know, change into a car or change into an airplane or something, you know, and he, he likes to work those things. He gets them all out, and then he says, Papa said, come play with me. So I said, okay, what are we doing? Well, he says, I'm, I'm making an attack force, okay? And so I pick up something. Oh, no, 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 that's not right. You know, no, you you got to do, do it this way. Well, okay, I'll try. No, 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 no. That's, I said, Boone, how can I play with you? You won't let me play. And I thought, you know, that, that's the way it is sometimes with the Lord. We say, oh, come in, Lord, take over. But we say, well, I'm going to help you here. You know, I can do this. I can do this. I'm good at this. And what happens is we kind of, make a mess of things when we do that. I'll tell you one more little story 
about him. My wife went over there one day and she was keeping him while his mom was gone. And She came back in with this great big piece of, of uh, drawing paper and he had painted something on it. It was just all red. And so, you know, just you couldn't tell anything about it. And so I thought, well, I need to acknowledge it. So I said, well, I'll send him a text and say, or a note and say, oh, I've called this Rhapsody in Red. You know? So when he came over, I had it hung in my office. And I took him in there and said, Boone, what is this? And he said, oh, this is a circle. It didn't look anything like a circle. <laughs> he said, this is a circle. I said, oh, okay. And he said, I did it all by myself. <laughs> well, we know, that's fine. You know, it is. But I leave that hung up there in my office. And as I was studying this past couple of weeks, I was looking up there and I said, you know, that's what it's like when I let myself get into things. When I try to, when I try to help out the Lord. But when I say, get up in the morning and say, Lord, today... You live your life in me. I, I, I don't, it's not so much, I just want you to help me. I want you to do it all. And I want to stay in the background. From the very moment that I say good morning to my wife until I kiss her goodnight at night, I want that to be you doing those things. And, and, and in the beginning, it's a little bit, you know, have to be aware of those things. You have to be kind of conscious of that. But there will come a time in which more and more that will come without our even being aware of it. That his life will begin to come just as naturally as the old life did. Praise God. When we try to live the overcoming life with our willpower, we live a life of suppression, not expression. (laughs) Suppression. You know... You may think, okay, here it comes. I'm going to get up this morning. I've got this encounter with this person that I am. Deter- I know good and well that they're going to provo- try to provoke me. But, Lord, you live in me, and it's, you know, I'm not going to be provoked. And so you go in there, and here it comes. You know, a person comes into your office or in the workplace or whatever, and they start on you. And, you know, you... You can feel the blood begin to rise and the hair on the back of your neck raise and your lip gets real thin and starts to quiver, you know. But you don't say anything. And you leave there and you say, Lord, I've overcome. (laughs) Folks, that's not overcoming. (laughs) That's suppressing. And you can suppress for a while, but eventually it will come out. The scripture says, put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. We think, well, lust, that just means sex stuff. Well, there's a lot of things that lust involves besides that. We can lust to have for, for, for recognition, for appreciation, for acknowledgement, for being lifted up, for being tell us how important we are or how much we've contributed, or how much we're needed. We can have a lust for those things. He says, don't make any provisions for that. Just leave that alone. Don't make no provisions for the flesh. You put on the Lord Jesus Christ. This is another way of saying you exchange your life for His and let Him live through us. 
And finally, in the second part of Galatians 2 and 20, and this is absolutely critical, and it says this, And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. The overcoming life is a life of faith. Faith is believing that what God says He will do through His Son living in you, He will do. You can surrender. You can believe that Christ lives in you. You can believe you're crucified with Christ. You've got all that down. But without faith to unlock that door you still won't overcome. We have to believe that the things that God has said are true are true and that He will do what He says. Faith, uh, Hebrews 11, verse 1, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. <clears throat> and then in verse 6, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he is, a reward, is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We can come all the way up to the door and not go in if we don't let the faith of Jesus Christ operate within us. He says, you know, he talks about doing by the measure of faith that he has given us. Jesus has given us faith, and we must exercise it. You know, if you look at the word substance, it literally means standing under. It's like the foundation of a building. You, you see the building, you don't see the foundation under it, but if the building is standing up, you know there's a foundation under it. And what Jesus is saying to us is that we must, or Paul is saying to us, we do all these things, but we do it by the faith of the Son of God who loved us and gave Himself for us. You, you can go into that situation with that person who you, who you know is going to try to, to, to pull your chain, and instead of saying, I will resist, I will suppress, I will hold on, we say, Lord, you just take, you take control. Brother uh, Hannigan said it this morning. He talked about taking the, the control of the steering wheel. And that's what we do. We just hand it over to God in faith, believing that what He has said He will do, He will accomplish. <clears throat> there are lots of promises in the Bible, lots of facts. We have been crucified with Christ. That's a fact. We have been resurrected with Christ. That's a fact. Jesus is a vine and we are the branches. That is a fact. Whether we believe it or not, it's a fact. But in order for the sap to flow, there has to be a faith in believing that the sap will flow. And then faith is acting out that which is not, we have not seen yet. Faith is going in the faith of the Son of God and forgiving the person who has offended you. That's the, that's the evidence of, of what faith is. It is acting out what we haven't seen yet, but we're doing it by the faith, by the belief that the Son of God will enable us to do what He has called us to do. 
the reality and the efficacy of these facts do not come into reality without the exercise of faith. Matthew 8 and 13, Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. And I'll close with this, Colossians 3, 3 through 4, For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Praise God. Tonight, we feel like if the Lord continues to move the way that He seems to be indicating to us, the altar will be opened and we will be able to come with our needs, whatever they may be, and look to God to meet those needs. And, and I, I'd just like to encourage us that as you go through the afternoon and early evening, that you will think about these things, that you will think about all the things that have been ministered, and think about the, the, the desires, the desire in our hearts for Jesus to come in and do for us what we have not been able to do for ourselves. We've tried to make provisions for the flesh. We, we, we've tried to, we tried this, we tried that, we tried to do things a certain way over and over. Just exchange all of that for Christ's life and have the faith to believe that He will accomplish in us those things which He wants to accomplish. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for <clears throat> we thank you for your our gathering together unto you. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to worship, to be ministered to by one another through through prophecy, through singing in the Spirit, through ministry from the Word. But Lord, these things are for a purpose. They are for doing a transformation in us. It is. It is to prepare us in this time of the kingdom of heaven being at hand, the king living in our hearts to be changed, to be transformed, to be exchanged, if you will, that we might be prepared little by little, day by day, year by year, that we might come to that place where the righteous requirements of the law are fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Lord, may our hearts burn, burn, burn with that desire to fulfill that for which you have called us to. Lord, we just pray a blessing now upon your people. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like more information about the moving of God's Spirit or resources for your spiritual life, please visit our website at www.globalmissionsinc.com dot org.